Welcome to the Hackberry House of Chosa, and my name is Bob, and I want to thank you for listening. We have on our site over 3,400 audios featuring great preachers, persecution stories from North Korea and other lands, Bible studies. You can go to Google Play Store and Apple Store and download the Church One app. It's spelled out O-N-E, Church One app for sermon audio. Enter Hackberry House after that. My books are on Amazon.com. You can contact me at bob.j.faulkner.72 at gmail.com. I'm reading today from the life story of John G. Patton. We're in chapter 9. I do hope if you haven't been with us all this time that you'll go back and catch up because it's a great story. Chapter 9 is called A Foreign Missionary. Happy in my work as I felt through these ten years, and successful by the blessing of God. Yet, I continually heard, and chiefly during my last years in the Divinity Hall, the wail of the perishing heathen in the South Seas. And I saw that few were caring for them, while I well knew that many would be ready to take up my work in in Calton and carry it forward perhaps with more efficiency than myself. Without revealing the state of my mind to any person, this was the supreme subject of my daily meditation and prayer, and this also led me to enter upon those medical studies in which I proposed taking the full course. But at the close of my third year, an incident occurred, which led me at once to offer myself for the foreign mission field. The Reformed Presbyterian Church of Scotland in which I had been brought up, had been advertising for another missionary to join the Reverend John Inglis in his grand work on the New Hebrides. Dr. Bates, the excellent convener of the Heathen Missions Committee, was deeply grieved, because for two years their appeal had failed. At length, the Synod, after much prayer and consultation, felt the claims of the heathen so gently pressed upon them by the Lord's repeated calls that they resolved to cast lots to discover whether God would thus select any minister to be relieved from his home charge and designated as a missionary to the South Seas. Each member of Synod, as I was informed, agreed to hand in, after solemn appeal to God, the names of the three best qualified in his esteem for such a work, and he who had the clear majority was to be loosed from his congregation and to proceed to the mission field, or the first and second highest, if two could be secured. Hearing this debate and feeling an intense interest in those most unusual proceedings, I remember yet the hushed solemnity of the prayer before the names were handed in. I remember the strained silence that held the assembly while the scrutineers retired to examine the papers. And I remember how tears blinded my eyes when they returned to announce that the result was so indecisive that it was clear that the Lord had not in that way provided a missionary. The cause was once again solemnly laid before God in prayer and a cloud of sadness appeared to fall over all the synod. The Lord kept saying within me, Since none better qualified can be got, rise and offer yourself. Almost 
Overpowering was the impulse to answer aloud, Here am I, send me, but I was dreadfully afraid of mistaking my mere human emotions for the will of God. And so I resolved to make it a subject of close deliberation and prayer for a few days longer, and to look at the proposal from every possible aspect. Besides, I was keenly solicitous about the effect upon the hundreds of young people and others now attached to all my classes and meetings, and yet I felt a growing assurance that this was the call of God to his servant, and that he who was willing to employ me in the work abroad was both able and willing to provide for the on-carrying of my work at home. My medical studies, as well as my literary and divinity training, had specially qualified me in some ways for the foreign field and from every aspect at which I could look the whole facts in the face, the voice within me sounded like a voice from God. It was under good Dr. Bates of West Campbell Street that I had begun my career in Glasgow, receiving 25 pounds per annum per year for for district visitation in connection with his congregation, along with instruction under Mr. Hislop and his staff in the Free Church Normal Seminary. And oh, how Dr. Bates did rejoice, even weep for joy, when I called on him and offered myself for the New Hebrides mission. I returned to my lodging with a lighter heart than I had for some times enjoyed, feeling that nothing so clears the vision and lifts up the life as a decision to move forward in what you know to be entirely the will of the Lord. I said to my fellow student, Joseph Copeland, who had chummed with me all through our course at college, I've been away signing my banishment. That's a rather trifling way of talk for such an occasion. I've offered myself as a missionary for the New Hebrides. After a long and silent meditation in which he he seemed lost in far-wandering thoughts, his answer was, If they will accept of me, I am also resolved to go. I said, will you write the convener to that effect or let me do so? He replied, you may. A few minutes later, his letter of offer was in the post office. Next morning, Dr. Bates called upon us early and after a long conversation commended us and our future work to the Lord God in fervent prayer. At a meeting of the Foreign Missions Committee, held immediately thereafter, both were, after due deliberation, formally accepted on condition that we passed successfully the usual examinations required of candidates for the ministry. And for the next twelve months, we were placed under a special committee for advice as to medical experience, acquaintance with the rudiments of trades, and anything else which might be thought useful to us in the foreign field. When it became known that I was preparing to go abroad as missionary, nearly all were dead against the proposal, except Dr. Bates and my fellow student. My dear father and mother, however, when I consulted them, characteristically replied that they had long since given me away to the Lord, and in this matter also would leave me to God's disposal. From other quarters, we were besieged with the strongest opposition on all sides. Even Dr. Symington, one of my professors in divinity, 
and the beloved minister in connection with whose congregation I had wrought so long as a city missionary and in whose Kirk session I had for years sat as an elder repeatedly urged me to remain at home. To his arguments I replied that my mind was finally resolved that though I loved my work and my people, yet I felt that I could leave them to the care of Jesus, who would soon provide them a better pastor than I, and that with regard to my life amongst uh, the cannibals, as I had only once to die, I was content to leave the time and place and means in the hand of God who had already marvelously preserved me when visiting cholera patients and the fever-stricken poor. On that score, I had positively no further concern, having left it all absolutely to the Lord, whom I sought to serve and honor, whether in life or by death. The house connected with my Green Street Church was now offered to me for a manse, and any reasonable salary that I cared to ask, as against the promised 120 pounds per year for the far-off and dangerous New Hebrides, on condition that I would remain at home. I cannot honestly say that such offers or opposing influences proved a heavy trial to me. They rather tended to confirm my determination that the path of duty was to go abroad. Amongst many who sought to deter me was one dear old Christian gentleman whose crowning argument always was, The cannibals! You'll be eaten by cannibals. At last I replied, Mr. Dixon, you are advanced in years now, and and your own prospect is soon to be laid in the grave. There to be eaten by worms, I confess to you, that if I can but live and die serving and honoring the Lord Jesus, it will make no difference to me whether I'm eaten by cannibals or by worms. And in the great day my resurrection body will arise as fair as yours, in the likeness of our risen Redeemer. The old gentleman, raising his hands in deprecating attitude, left the room exclaiming, After that I have nothing more to say. (laughs) My dear Green Street people grieved excessively at the thought of my leaving them, and daily pleaded with me to remain. Indeed, the opposition was so strong from nearly all, and many of them warm Christian friends, that I was sorely tempted to question whether I was carrying out the divine will or only some headstrong wish of my own. But conscience said louder and clearer every day, Leave all these results with Jesus your Lord, who said, Go ye into all the world, preach the gospel to every creature, and lo, I am with you always. These words kept ringing in my ears. These were our marching orders. Some retorted upon me, There are heathen at home. Let us seek and save, first of all, the lost ones perishing at our doors. This I felt to be most true and an appalling fact, but I unfailingly observed that those who made this retort neglected these home heathen themselves, and so the objection, as from them, lost all its power. On meeting, however, with so many obstructing influences, I again laid the whole matter before my dear parents, and their reply was to this effect. Heretofore we feared to bias you, 
But now we must tell you why we praise God for the decision to which you have been led. Your father's heart was set upon being a minister, but other claims forced him to give it up. When you were given to them, your father and mother laid you upon the altar, their firstborn, to be consecrated, if God saw fit, as a missionary of the cross. And it has been their constant prayer that you might be prepared, qualified, and led to this very decision. And we pray with all our heart that the Lord may accept your offering, long spare you, and give you many souls from the heathen world for your hire. From that moment, every doubt as to my path of duty forever vanished. I saw the hand of God very visibly, not only preparing me for, but now leading me to the foreign mission field. Well did I know that the sympathy and prayers of my dear parents were warmly with me in all my studies and in all my mission work. But for my education, they could, of course, give me no money help. All through, on the contrary, it was my pride and joy to help them, being the eldest in a family of eleven. Though I here most gladly and gratefully record that all my brothers and sisters, as they grew up and began to earn a living, took their full share in this same blessed privilege. For we stuck to each other and to the old folks like burrs and had all things in common as a family in Christ. And I knew that never again, howsoever long they might be spared through the peaceful autumn of life, would the dear old father and mother lack any joy or comfort that the willing hands and loving hearts of all their children could singly or unitedly provide. For all this I did praise the Lord. It consoled me beyond description in parting from them, probably forever, in this world at, at least. Chapter 10 will take us to the New Hebrides themselves. Do come back. You don't want to miss this, do you? Well, I hope not. Well, this is the Hackberry House of Chosun. Lord willing, we will talk again real soon. Bye-bye.